Well, take your Bibles this morning and turn with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. A couple of Sunday mornings ago when we began this series on prayer, I asked you to pray that God would make us, Calvary Hill Baptist Church, and really the families of Calvary Hill Baptist Church, more fruitful, uh, more productive uh, in 2022. Uh, and this morning I want to discuss a particular kind of fruitfulness that we should be praying for. Uh, one of the goals of this series of messages is not that we come away from this knowing a little bit more about prayer than we did before, uh, but really the goal is, is that we will come away from this series uh, being more a people of prayer than we were before, spending time in prayer, knowing how to pray uh, for ourselves and for one another. And, uh, and so we get a wonderful illustration here uh, about prayer uh, because we get to listen in on the prayer uh, of the Apostle Paul for his brothers and sisters in Christ in Philippi. And it's interesting to me, <clears throat> as you read the letters of Paul in the New Testament, um, how often he speaks of the love that he has for those to whom he writes. Uh, and I don't know about you, but I, I think it's very right for us to ask ourselves this question, how in the world did Paul come to have such a love for so many people uh, even those that he had never met uh, in his life. Uh, and I think we know the answer. Uh, it's what we just sang about. Uh, it, it, that love is God's love. God put his own love in the heart of the Apostle Paul, which in turn became a love that he had uh, for people uh, all across the the world and in so many places where he ministered throughout the course of his ministry. Uh, and of course he begins talking about his thankfulness for these people, for his partnership with him in the ministry of the gospel, uh, his assurance that this good work that God had begun in them would indeed come to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. And he, and he says there in verse uh, 7 of, of Philippians 1, he says, I hold you in my heart. You are all partakers of me, uh, with me of, of grace. Uh, Paul just expressing his, his delight in, his love for these fellow Christians with whom he served alongside and for whom he served sacrificially, uh, again, to the point of suffering the imprisonment that he was currently experiencing when he wrote this letter to the Philippians. Uh, the specific prayer that I want us to kind of focus in on is found beginning in verse 9 of Philippians chapter 1. Uh, Paul prays that his brothers and sisters in Christ would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. So this specific kind of fruitfulness that we're going to address this morning, the, the fruit of righteousness, the, the fruitfulness of, of righteousness. According to Paul, this fruitfulness comes, just like the love that we've been singing about, only as God enables us to love one another. The love that we're going to be talking about this morning, the fruitfulness, is something that God produces in us. It, it is not something that we can just work up in our own strength. God has to do this 
work in us. And, and so what Paul is going to say is, is this kind of fruitfulness, this, this fruit of righteousness that our lives are to be filled with, characterized by, uh, not, not just now or, or, or for a little while, but, but throughout the course of our life until the Lord returns, until the day of Christ. Um, this is something that we need to be in prayer for one another about. I need to be praying for you uh, that the fruit of righteousness would be produced in your life. You need to be praying for me that the fruit of righteousness would be produced in my life. And again, the way that that happens is as God fills our lives with his love and as we allow that love to overflow uh, into others. Love is absolutely essential to fruitfulness. That's what Paul was saying. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, again, a verse of Scripture, a passage of Scripture that we're all familiar with, Paul emphasizes this essential nature of love. He writes, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, love is essential. No matter how articulate I may be in professing Christ or expressing the, the message of the gospel, if I don't have love, I'm just empty noise. If I have prophetic powers, he says, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is essential. So Paul prays that our lives will be characterized by love. And again, my heart this morning is that you will begin to pray for me, for those around you, that their lives, our lives, will be characterized by this kind of love. Let's, let's read this prayer together. It's in, it begins in verse 9, Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. We'll just read down through verse 11. Paul says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let, let's pray together as we look at this passage. Father, we are so thankful today. Uh, for this family of God that you have made us a part of, for this body of believers, this church, Lord, I am so thankful that when days of difficulty come, days of heartbreak, sadness, tragedy, Lord, uh, we have others to come to our, our, our aid, Lord, to support us, to encourage us, to pray for us, to stand with us, Lord, and again, I pray, Father, that as we look to your word this morning and throughout the course of this series of messages, that we would simply determine to let you speak to our hearts concerning how we can become uh, more effective uh, in our prayer life, Lord, how we can better uh, pray for one another. So open our hearts and minds today to this prayer of, of Paul, this, this longing in his heart that he had to see the love of God produced and thus the righteousness of God produced in the lives of his fellow 
believers. Lord, may that be our prayer for ourselves and for one another today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Paul begins here, uh, this, the, well, he prays that our love would be a, a larger love, all right? I, I pray, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. His heartfelt uh, desire for his fellow believers and thus his, his prayer for them uh, is that their lives might be marked by an ever-increasing and overflowing love for one another. Uh, and, and of course, this is the word that we are so familiar with uh, in the New Testament for love, agape. We know there are other kinds of love. This is the word that is primarily used and translated love in so many of our, our favorite passages uh, of Scripture. Uh, agape love. And, and the thing that is characteristic of this kind of love, of course, is that it is not primarily emotional in nature. Uh, Paul is not really praying about our feelings at this point. But rather, uh, this is an active word. Paul is praying about the way that we live our lives, the, the way that we pray for one another, the way that we serve one another, uh, the way that we live outwardly toward one another. Uh, this is the kind of love that Jesus said would demonstrate beyond anything else that we are truly his disciples if we have this kind of love for one another. Uh, this is a love that is, that is not readily seen in the world in which we live. The world has an idea about what love is. Uh, all you got to do is turn on the radio to any secular radio station and you can probably hear all kinds of love songs that have been written over the years no matter what uh, generation you may be from. People have been singing about love forever. And let me tell you, most of those songs are just, if you really get down to it, they're ridiculous, aren't they? They're, they're, their idea of what love is. Uh, so we have to come to an understanding of what love is based upon what Scripture reveals, what God says love is. And this, this love that Paul prays would characterize our lives is a love that is not marked so much by feelings. This isn't something that comes and goes. This kind of love is a, uh, it's a, it's an active, consistent, lifelong, again, as, as he says there at the end of that 1 Corinthians 13 passage, it's a love that never fails. Uh, I mean, the love that is so often portrayed in the world in which we live in fails all the time, doesn't it? Not this kind of love. So Paul prays that this love, this agape love, this Christ-like love would become increasingly bigger and larger and more effective in our lives as the days go by. That our lives would be marked by this kind of love in an increasing and overflowing sense. It's a, again, it's a love that will be recognized through the selfless sacrifices that we make in behalf of of others. I mean, that's what Christ came to do for us, right? We know that Christ loved us because he laid down his life for us. He died for us. Uh, our lives, if they are truly characterized by this kind of love, and that's what Paul is praying, uh, they'll be characterized by selfless, sacrificial acts uh, that may even result in suffering, but that we will willingly, even eagerly, give ourselves to um, because that's what God has purposed. For our lives. So Paul is not praying that his fellow followers of Jesus would have an ever-increasing affection for one another. Now it's important that we have an affection for one another. 
Nothing wrong with having an affection for one another. That's a brotherly love that the Bible speaks of, and it's a good thing. But the kind of love that he is specifically praying for today is that they would increasingly serve one another in greater and greater degrees with more and more effectiveness. Uh, again, even if that service requires sacrifice, or maybe in spite of the fact that that kind of service requires sacrifice, and that it may well lead uh, to suffering. Uh, so it's not for good feelings toward our brothers and sisters in Christ that Paul prays for, but it's for good works. You know, we were created, the Bible says, uh, for good works. We're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so Paul prays that the good work of love, which will result in the fruit of righteousness, uh, being evidence in our lives will we'll grow increasingly with each passing day. Uh, and that's the kind of prayer we need to be praying for one another. You know, one of the, the hindrances, I think, to so many uh, when we begin to talk about our prayer life uh, and when we begin to, especially when we read the stories of great men and women of prayer, uh, you know, from our Christian heritage, we, we, we often read of these people that spent hours uh, on their knees praying, and we wonder how in the world could they pray for that long? You know, I, I, I kneel down to pray, and after I've, you know, went through a, a couple of personal needs and maybe some needs for my family, uh, you know, five minutes later, I'm through. But when we begin to see what prayer is and how we should be praying for one another, uh, again, not that it should result in you being a person who prays for hours and hours each day, although it might, it will certainly give you uh, a more effective way to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray that love may abound uh, in us more and more. And of course, Paul says that not only that love may abound more and more, but with knowledge and all discernment. Uh, this kind of love, it's, Paul is praying uh, that this love would come as a result of our spiritual growth. One of the ways, really the, the most important way that we will love one another, the way Paul is praying that we will love one another, the way that we will see love ever increasing, ever abounding in our lives from this day until the day of Christ, the day of Christ's return, is as we grow in our understanding of who God is and who he has created us to be, the purpose for which he has created us. That's the idea behind that word, with knowledge. Our love needs to be a a knowledgeable love. Uh, when the scripture says to husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, we need to understand what that means. Uh, as parents, we're to love our children. We need to know what that word love means, not just what the current uh, trend in our culture may be about how husbands should love their wives or parents should love their children, but we need to go to the word of God and see what God has revealed uh, that's what he means here. Our love should be governed by the knowledge of God and his word, what he has revealed to us. So this kind of love that Paul is praying for us, that we should be praying for one another, is a kind that will require knowing and loving God and growing in our understanding of his word. So if we're going to love the way Paul says we should love, then we have to be a people devoted to a growing knowledge of God's 
word. So implied here is this ever-deepening understanding of who God has revealed himself to be in the pages of Scripture and really who he has created us to be. What he has created us to do. Uh, our love must spring from this ever-deepening spiritual well of knowledge. So we need to be growing. If we want to love the way Paul prays that we love, we need to be growing in our knowledge of God and His Word. The more I know and understand my purpose as it is revealed in the pages of Scripture, the better I am enabled to love others as I should. And of course the same thing is true for you. So Paul prays for this ever-growing, ever-increasing ever abounding, overflowing love. And he says, but it's to be a love that is couched in knowledge, the knowledge of God's word. In other words, we're not to lean, as the proverb says, to our own understanding. But in all our ways, we're to acknowledge him, right? He'll make our path straight. He'll show us how to love. He'll show us how to properly love our wives, men. He'll show us how to properly love our children, parents. He'll show us how to properly love one another. Uh, so this love is, is a love that, that springs from knowledge. And, then, and not only that, but with knowledge and all discernment. Uh, really the idea behind that word discernment is, is, is yielding to the guidance. In other words, as we come to understand, as we come to know what God's word has said, then we determine that our lives will be guided by that. In other words, we're not going to simply be satisfied with knowing what God says, but we're going to do what he says. We're going to allow his word to guide our lives. Uh, that's what spiritual discernment. Notice it says all spiritual or all discernment. This, this love will require, that, that word discernment, this ever greater degree of spiritual or biblical insight. The word discernment speaks of insight, perception. Uh, and that word all, tacked on the front of it, actually means that this discernment is the fullest, highest, to the greatest degree. In other words, we don't need just a little discernment. We need a lot of discernment. We need a great discernment. We need, we need a discernment that, that is... It, it, operating in its fullest capacity, again, which comes from this knowledge of God's Word. As we grow in our understanding of God and His Word, we will increasingly be able to rightly apply the knowledge, to the, situ the knowledge of God, the knowledge that is revealed by God and His Word, to the situations that arise in our lives. I mean, that's, that's really what wisdom is, wisdom, discernment. This skill to take what we know and apply it to the various circumstances of our lives. I mean, not everything that arises in our lives is going to be specifically addressed in Scripture, right? But if we are growing, increasing in our understanding, our knowledge of God, then, then our ability to discern, to, to apply God's Word to specific situations will also increasingly become greater and greater. And thus the way that we live, guided by God's word, the things that we love will be guided by God's word. 
And we will find ourselves increasingly becoming a source to those around us which will guide them. I mean, isn't that what we want? I want my family, my children, especially my grandchildren, I want them to be able to look at my life, at the way that I live, at the things that I love, at the, uh, the, the way that I spend my resources, the efforts that I put forth in life. I want them to be able to look at those things and, and say, that's the way I ought to live to want to live that way. That, that's what Paul is praying. Paul says we need to pray for one another. He's praying for us that this kind of love will abound more and more in our lives. It will be a love based upon our knowledge of God as he has revealed himself to be in Scripture and who he has revealed that we are and will lead to this, this discerning life, this wisdom that will not only protect us but will protect those around us. So Paul prays, and we should pray, for an ever larger love of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then, and then he also, he says, so that you may approve what is excellent. Paul's prayer for us is that our lives will be characterized by this spiritual goodness, all right? Spiritual growth, spiritual guidance from the Word that, that we are growing in, and then, then this good that will come from it. Ultimately, our knowledge and discernment will enable us to evaluate, to assess, to determine the true value of things. Every day, we are bombarded by the world's idea of what's important or valuable or necessary. What the world tells us will ultimately make us happy or whole. Uh, let me tell you, we can't depend on the world to put us on the right track. We have to depend upon God. The, the goodness that we want to see pursued in our lives and, and produced in our lives must be a spiritually discerned goodness. Paul writes in Romans 12, 2, that as our minds are renewed by the Word of God, our lives will be transformed, and what will come of that is that we will be enabled to discern what the will of God is. And then he kind of defines the will of God with the words, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, God's will for your life and for mine is what is good and acceptable and perfect in the eyes of God. Well, how do I know what is good and perfect and acceptable in the eyes of God? Well, God's told us in His Word. And so we avail ourselves <clears throat> of the Bible and its teachings, and we grow, and our love uh, expands, increases, enlarges as we go along. So Paul prays, and we should pray that our lives and the lives of those around us should be characterized by this ever-increasing, larger kind of love, a love that is not readily seen in the world today. And then he says that one of the results of this larger love that's couched in knowledge and, and guided by the, the Word of God will be that, and he says there, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Uh, I mentioned that the world 
often puts forth various definitions of love, meanings of love, evidences of love. But more times than not, they're false views of love. They're incomplete views of love, inadequate views of love. What Paul wants of our lives, what Paul is praying, is that our lives will be characterized by what I would say is a legitimate love, a real love, a love that's known for its genuineness. He says, and so be pure. I'm sure you've heard people say, just as I have, uh, talking about somebody, and they'll say, you know that guy, he's the real deal. You ever heard somebody say that, use that? He's the real deal. She's the real deal. Well, what they mean by that, of course, is that that man or that woman is exactly what they claim to be. Uh, In other words, what you get with them is is exactly what you see and hear from them. Their life is consistent with who they profess themselves to be, and of course, very important for us as Christians that we be that kind of person, genuine. Uh, often this word is, uh, is translated sincere. Sincere, of course, is an English word that comes from a couple of Latin words that mean without wax. Now, that doesn't seem to add up, does it? Let me tell you how we came to understand that word sincere the way we do, coming from words that mean without wax. You know, in Paul's day, the largest industry by far was the pottery business, all right? Uh, Clay pots and bowls were used in every household. They were sold on every corner. And this everyday pottery was thick. It was sturdy. uh, It was easy to make. Uh, However... That wasn't the only kind of pottery that was made. Fine pottery. We might, in our day, we would refer to fine china. There there was that kind of pottery made. Uh, And it was not easy to make. Uh, It was thin and it was fragile, just like fine china in our day. And it often cracked in the process of producing it, especially when it went through the the heating process. That that thin clay would, would crack. Now... If a potter was a dishonest potter, what he might do, and and again, where this word came from, he might choose to fill those cracks with with a thick, heavy wax. And then he would paint that piece of pottery, that fragile piece of pottery, or glaze it, and then he would sell it as if it was not damaged at all. Of course, wise or experienced potters buyers of that kind of pottery learned they would take that that vase and they would they would hold it up to the sun uh, the, the word pure has, could be translated sun tested they would they would hold that piece of pottery up to the sun and if it had been filled with wax as I just described it would become very clear because those those wax filled cracks would stand out when evaluated in the, in the light of the sun. Uh, so what honest potters would do, often they would post a sign saying, those two Latin words, sine sera, without wax. In other words, they were saying, look, you don't have to worry about my pottery. It is what it professes to be. Uh, and that's what our lives should be like. 
Church, we should be a people known for our genuineness. In other words, we should be known as living lives that are characterized by what we profess to believe. One of the biggest problems uh, in the church, uh, one of the biggest excuses used by non-church-going people uh, is hypocrisy. The hypocrisy in the church. And we all gasp. Well, there's a lot of hypocrisy in the church, isn't there? There are a lot of people that profess to be one thing, but they live their everyday life as if they weren't that thing at all. Wax-filled Christians, full of cracks. Paul is praying that our lives would be lives of ever-increasing love, couched in knowledge of God's Word and a and a discernment, the ability to apply that word of God to our lives, and that that, that would result in, in, in us exerting our efforts toward those things which are truly good or worthwhile. That's what we will spend our time on. That's what we will use our resources for. Uh, and thus, evidence of genuineness. Those guys, that church over there, that's the real deal. They're the real deal. They don't just sing about how much they love Jesus. They really love Jesus. They don't just talk about how much they love one another. They really love one another. That's what it means to be pure. The way that Paul is using that word here. And not only pure, he says, but blameless for the day of Christ. There's a word that we see often in Scripture, blameless. We are to be a blameless people. Now, that doesn't mean that we are to be sinless. You know you can't be, right? You're never going to be sinless, not in this life. We have a sinful flesh that wants its way and often gets it. So Paul is not praying that we be sinless. And if you wonder about Paul's thinking on that, just turn over to Romans chapter 6 and 7. Paul struggled with his own in his own life, with sinlessness. Uh, So, that word blameless doesn't mean that we are to somehow strive or to become sinless, but rather that because our understanding of who God is and who we are is ever increasing, that our love for others, our service to others is growing day by day, this means that increasingly we will become less and less uh, susceptible to sin, to the temptation of sin. So we will no longer easily stumble into sin, is what Paul is saying. Uh, And nor, as a result of that, will there be anything about us that would lead somebody else to stumble into sin. What Paul is speaking of there when he uses that word blameless, he's simply speaking of a godly lifestyle patterned by a godly love. And again, not just every now and then, not just for a period of time in our lives, but for the day of Christ until Christ returns. This is what we need to be praying for one another. And of course, All of this will ultimately, prayerfully, result in a life that verse 11 says is filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God.
If you're ever asked what you would like your life to be characterized by, a wonderful answer would be love. I want my life to be characterized as a life of love, a life of loving God, a life of loving others. That's what Paul is praying for us, that our lives would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Uh, and, and that word filled is a word that it speaks of something that God has done in our past, something that has been accomplished in our past. You see, it's God who has, has set his love upon us, right? God has done this wonderful thing that only God can do. Again, I said this kind of love is a love that only God can produce in us. This isn't something we can produce in and of ourselves. So Paul says, I want your lives to be characterized by this this thing, this, this act of, of God in your life that will continue throughout the course of your life. What God did then will be evidenced by the way that you are living now and, and, and until Christ returns. This continuing evidence of God's gift of salvation that will be demonstrated through the words and the works that our lives will be characterized. And that's what's going to characterize our lives, right? Right? People are going to remember the things that we said and the things that we did. And really, the truth is, they're going to remember the things that we did probably way more than the things that we said. That's always encouraging for preachers to hear. But that's the reality. Will the way that I lived my life prove to be consistent with the things that I proclaimed? through my life, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Again, not a reference to the inward righteousness that is imputed to us. I mean, the reality is, the Bible tells us that you are the righteousness of God in Christ, right? Because Christ became sin for us. The, the, the one who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So again, that's that work that God has done. You have become the very righteousness of God in Christ, and as a result of that, your life should reflect the love and the growth in knowledge and understanding and sympathy for your brothers and sisters in Christ, this, this, this blamelessness that he talks about here. So not a reference to the inward righteousness that is imputed to us, but he's talking about the outward righteousness that is produced through us, that can be seen by others. If we're truly born again, it won't be a secret to anybody. They'll know, by the way, that we live, because our lives of, of love will, be, first of all, be powered by His grace. In other words, He says, I want you to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's the only way it comes. You cannot love, you cannot live the way Paul is praying unless you know Jesus Christ. This life comes only through him. It only comes as we, as we commit our lives to him in faith and, and, and walk every day in the light of his love for us. This life is a life that is powered by, by grace. The righteous acts that Paul is praying will characterize our lives are achieved only through the power of and the grace of God. Uh, and they result in the glory and praise of God. 
if our lives and the way that we live are the result of what God alone has done in our lives, then all the glory goes to Him, right? And that's what Paul is praying will be true of our lives. Those whose lives are filled with the fruit of righteousness will be motivated by the desire to make God's name great. That's what our lives should be all about. Not about making us great, but about making God's name great. Whatever good can be seen in me comes from God who put it there, who purposed it for my life. And then, of course, in the whole process of pursuing God's glory, there ought to be a joy, a delight. Neil talked about it last week when he talked about the way that we should praise God in prayer. We should also praise God when we get up from prayer and we begin to live our lives that we have prayed God will allow us to live, our lives should praise Him. They should, they should exhibit the delight that we have in God, not some sense of drudgery and duty. Well, we got to live the way the Bible says, but no, this is for God's glory, and I am, I'm just as happy as I can be to live the way God has enabled me to live. So, pray for one another. Pray for yourself. Pray for one another. Pray that the love of God might abound more and more in your life as you grow in your knowledge and understanding of who God is and who He created you to be. Uh, spend your time, your money, your efforts on those things which God's Word says are truly good, truly uh, worthwhile, not, not what the world might tell us, so that we might be known for our genuineness, our godliness, as people who walk the walk, who, who live what they profess to believe, and that we might be producers of this fruit of righteousness, acts of sacrifice on behalf of others demonstrate that God has done this great work in us and that that work has continuing results right up to this very moment and rejoicing all the while that as we do that, whether anybody notices us or not, God is getting praise and glory. <laughs>